Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. It was fun. Thank you. It's October. And you know what that means. I am curled up in a blanket and I'm about to tell a spooky story. That's correct. I am so excited. It is It is too damn cold out here. It just started to get a little nippy. What's going on? I'm kind of loving it. It is nice, but you know. We didn't get seasons for like four years. At least I didn't. Yeah, so, this is going to be weird. Yeah, I'm kind of into it. But it's it's setting the scene perfectly. Um, I'm going to be telling you the most famous alien abduction story, definitely in the U.S. I don't know if it's the whole world, but it's like one of the most famous alien abduction stories um, ever. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm excited to hear this story. I'm and glad. I'm sure it was hotly contested whether it was actually true. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely speculation and lots of people who are trying to debunk it and talk about like what could have happened and, you know, all this stuff. So we'll get into yeah. that. So we're going to be talking about Barney and Betty Hill. Okay, of the names to be abducted, these are top of the list. Barney and Betty? Yeah, Barney and Betty B &B. Hill. B&B. B&B. Love it. Um, An old B&B. &B. So in 1961, 39-year-old Barney Hill Jr. and his wife, 41-year-old Eunice Elizabeth Hill, who went by Betty, lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Eunice? Eunice Elizabeth Hill. She went by Betty, which is like a short for Elizabeth. Oh, like Beth. Yeah. Okay. I had to take like a few steps. All right. We got there. <laughs> okay. Keep whatever. listening. Barney worked for the U.S. <laughs> Can you shut up? <laughs> Please. Barney worked for the U.S. Postal Service and Betty was a social worker. The Hills were active in the local Unitarian congregation and were community leaders. Barney sat on the local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, and they were both members of the NAACP. They were an interracial couple at the time when it was particularly uncommon in the U.S. Barney was black and Betty was white. In September of that year, they decided that they needed a break from their hectic work lives. Barney worked a grueling night shift at the post office, driving 60 miles each way, and Betty's job was no easier. The little free time the couple did have was devoted to their church and activities related to the civil rights movement. The couple had been married at that point for 16 months, and they had never had a chance for their honeymoon, so they decided that that weekend would be a nice one to get away and have a kind of a makeshift honeymoon. Their weekend trip would be to Montreal and Niagara Falls, so they were just going to take a nice, nice spontaneous trip. They left so impulsively that they had no time to get to the bank before it closed for the weekend, so they got in their car with less than $70 in their pockets. But this is the 60s, so that's like 300? Sure. That's equates, more than that. Yeah, it definitely equates to more money than it would have been now. But still, they were like, we're just going to jump in the car and go. I don't care that we only have 70 bucks. Romantic. I know. On the last night of their three-day trip, the tired couple sipped coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before driving back. Barney figured if they pushed through, they could beat the wind and rains from an approaching hurricane. So they're like, Bro. okay, we're going to leave tonight because if we wait till tomorrow, we might not be able to go home. So they're like, we're just going to drive through the night. It's fine. Wait, are they driving into the hurricane? No, they were, they were going to miss it. But that was why they were leaving so late because oh, there was okay. supposed to be a hurricane. 
The Hills left the diner around 10 p.m. that night, and they were traveling along State Route 3 and estimated they could reach their red-framed house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. at the latest. Although there was supposed to be a storm approaching, the night sky was clear as they drove. The area in which they were traveling was a rural, forested, and mountainous area. Though they weren't completely in the middle of nowhere, they hadn't seen any other cars on the road for, like, the entire trip. They were basically alone out there. Well, they were, not basically. They were alone. The hills were just south of Lancaster at around 10.30 p.m. when Betty noticed a bright light appear in the southwest sky near the moon. She believed the light she was seeing was Jupiter off in the distance or possibly a shooting star. But even from that moment, she had doubts that what she was seeing was a shooting star since the light had been moving upward. Barney, who was an avid plane watcher and a World War II veteran, was sure that they had nothing to worry about. He told his wife that it was only a satellite that had gone off its course. But with each mile, the light seemed to continue getting closer and closer to them. It also seemed as if it had been moving with the car as they steered down the curving mountain road. The light zigged and zagged, ducking past the moon behind trees and mountain ridges, only to appear moments later. Sometimes it seemed to move toward them in a game of cat and mouse. They felt as if it had been an illusion. Maybe their car's movements made it seem like the light was moving with them, but it hadn't actually been. However, eventually, curiosity got the best of them, and Betty suggested they stop to get a better look at it. They ended up pulling over multiple times at road stops and picnic turnouts, each time using a set of binoculars to see as clearly as possible. And the both of them confirmed that the light was not only moving, but it had been moving very erratically. Also, it wasn't just a light. It had been an object that looked like it was spinning in the air. Bro. Dun, dun, Yeah, dun. no, I'm out. Barney still insisted that it may also have been a plane or a helicopter, but Betty told him, quote, if you think that's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. Yeah, Betty knows. Betty does know, and Barney was starting to feel like Betty may have been right. The couple stopped near Cannon Mountain, and by that time, the object was now to their right, and they had been moving in opposite directions. But they then watched as the object turned around and began moving in their direction once again, which led Betty to believe that the light had been following them. So that that confirmed it for her. At another point, Betty observed the object pass in front of the moon, so that allowed her to see the outline of the object a little better. She described it as a wingless, cigar-shaped craft that had flashing series of red, green, blue, and amber lights along its body. Not only did the object have a weird shape and lights, it was also completely silent as it moved erratically through the sky. At that point, Betty definitely suspected what she was looking at was a flying saucer. Like most Americans at the time, Betty had heard about the possibility of extraterrestrial life, but she also had a bit of a personal tie to it since her sister had actually claimed to see a UFO two years earlier on two separate occasions. Wow. Okay, so this is adding up. Yeah. Have you ever seen something that you were like, is that a UFO? I mean, yeah, but I think usually it was like plausibly like something else. A satellite. It wasn't like I ever looked at something and I was like, eh, I don't know. I didn't even get to that point or yeah. to the point where I was like, yeah, that was for sure a UFO. Yeah. I've had one moment where I saw something in the sky that was so strange. And I was with a friend of mine and we were driving 
and it like had the like kind of like the lights that this is describing um like straight across it and it was moving really like erratically in the sky like faster than a plane or like a helicopter probably could have and we like look at each other and we were like did we just see that like are we actually seeing what we're seeing right now Uh, and then we went to my house and my dad was there and he was like i just saw an alien i just saw ufo i just saw oh so all three of you saw it yeah and he's like he tried to take a video but he took like a really shaky like terrible dad video yeah it was like very much a dad video so like we didn't actually catch it on video but my dad was really excited about it and to this day like he's pumped about it yeah and to this day he's like i definitely saw ufo like for sure um, who knows if it actually was or not, but it, it was definitely weird. Like I for sure saw something that was strange. And it's like the same, like you saw this thing before you heard about this story. Yeah, absolutely. I like just, the lights are the same. I didn't know this story before this week. Bro, this yeah. is like, I'm starting to feel about this, how I feel about ghosts. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. We're like, <laughs> I, I have like completely dismissed both, but mm-hmm. then there's like so many of these stories, like everyone has one it's i mean not yeah. a ufo i no, feel like yeah. ghosts are more ubiquitous but yeah it's like ah, uh, how many people like have to talk about it before you're like eh, yeah it's one, of, it's one of those things i mean same with ghosts like there's definitely people out there who are lying and who fake things and like that's always going to be the case but especially with ghosts i feel like there's so much evidence out there and there's so many people who have experiences that like not everyone is lying you know i mean like i have personal experiences and i know that i'm not lying i mean i can say that to you and you can believe me or not but like personally i know that like what happened is weird in my life you know yeah i mean i believe you no i know you do but i'm just saying like in general like you don't know because it hasn't happened to you you can only believe what i'm saying right but yeah it's weird Anyway, so Betty's sister had seen a UFO, or at least she claimed to have. So Betty was like, okay, this very well could be what I'm seeing. While unusual sightings have been reported in the sky throughout history, UFOs became culturally prominent after World War II, escalating during the Space Age, which was just a few years earlier than like our story is taking place. So this is like around the time when aliens became kind of prominent in society. Was it ever a thing before that? Oh, absolutely. There's like record of quote unquote alien or UFO sightings like in like ancient history. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just wondering if it like only showed up in the 60s. No, that's just when it became like popular to talk about and like speculate. And yeah. Interesting. Okay. So at that point, Betty was pretty convinced and Barney was starting to get scared himself. He was a smart man with an IQ of 140 and he felt like the night had been way too quiet for this object to have been a helicopter, a commercial plane, or even a military jet. He didn't want... isn't that like genius level IQ? I think that's like you should be like a physics professor type of IQ. <laughs> Maybe he just wasn't interested in that. Maybe he just I wanted mean, to be hey, a post office worker. More power to you. It's <laughs> just like, I don't know. He's got more horsepower than the job requires. Than the average bear? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. But yeah, with his big, big brain, he was like, um, logically, this thing but, should be making sound. Right. He didn't want to spook Betty, but he was becoming concerned. I think Betty's already spooked, bro. Yeah, but you know, they're not communicating entirely. They're like, are you scared? I'm, uh, well, oh, is yeah. this like a, they're driving and they're both ignoring it? Pretty much. Yeah. Like for a little while, at least Betty was like, um, Barney, I think this is scary. And he's like, I'm not going to let her know that I'm scared because right. if, if she knows I'm scared, then we're really going to freak out. 
He just wanted to know what this light was and why it was seemingly toying with them. The Hill's dog, Delcy, who had been traveling with them, began to whine as if it was afraid. So even, the dogs with them? Even, yeah, they had their dog with them because they, they loved Delcy. And now Delcy's freaking out. Bro, you buried the lead. They have a dog. What yeah. What kind of... I don't know what kind okay. of dog. It doesn't right, matter. Fine. But anyway, dogs know when they things know. are wackadoo, you know? Yeah. So Delcy crying is just another tick for um, things are whack, you know? So before driving off once again, Barney went into his trunk and pulled out a thirty-two caliber pistol and put it under his seat, and the two resumed driving. They observed as the object flew behind Cannon Mountain. However, it quickly reappeared by a rock feature called the Old Man of the Mountain and resumed flying in the same direction as the car. The hills passed a motel, but they decided they should keep driving to get home as quickly as possible. Yeah, you need to get out of there. Yeah. Not long after that, when the couple had been about 70 miles past the diner, like when they first left, the object was hovering just above the treetops, approximately 100 feet above them. I'm shitting. And even weirder, it moved in front of them. Nope. No, 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 no. Wait, so it's in front of them, 100 feet away? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Time to get the gun. Right. Time for that. As if that could do anything against an alien spaceship. Try. Give it a shot literally a shot yeah betty who could see the object better since barney was driving said it had a steady white glow she looked through the binoculars and started to see what looked like a huge spacecraft with two rows of windows on it because now it's so close that she can see the windows oh it's like a double decker yeah it's like a double decker bus right you know the ones you see in london i freaking love those things (laughs) (laughs) it's a familiar thing exactly she watched as two red lights appeared on either side of the object Betty told Barney to stop the car and look, so he stopped once again. No, don't This stop. time in the middle of the road, since no one else was out there with them, and got out and looked while Betty stayed in the car. The object had, like Betty said, swung towards them not more than a short block away, and now was just about two trees high. It was hovering silently in the air, almost looking at them. Barney described it as a large, glowing pancake. From his estimation, the object looked as if it was larger than a jet airliner. He could see now that the red lights on either side of the object seemed to belong to two fin-like projections that were extending outward. And even though the lights were so bright, no light fell on the ground. So it's like giving off a lot of light, but it's not casting any kind of light on the ground, which is also a weird... what? Yeah, I don't know. So the craft slowly descended in his direction as he walked toward it. Betty screamed for him to get back, but he ignored her call as he looked through the binoculars once again. The object had two rows of windows, like Betty said, and behind those rows of windows were about ten figures who seemed to be looking right at him. They appeared to be human-like, but he also knew that they were not human. They appeared to be wearing glossy black uniforms with black caps. Barney watched as one of the figures moved away from the windows and toward the back wall and started operating what looked like levers on a big control board. The craft came closer and the fins with the red lights extended further out as some kind of ladder began to descend from the craft. Dude, get into the car. Barney and said go. Barney said that this is the part of his memory that is hazy. However, he recalled that he tried to lift his hand with the pistol in it, but somehow he couldn't. And something told him not to put down his binoculars. Still in the window was a figure looking down at him with its slanted eyes, whom he assumed to be the leader. He had a startling thought, we're about to be captured. So terrified and yelling hysterically, he ran back to the car, hopped in, and took off as fast as he could. 
As they barreled down the road, Betty tracked the craft, craning her head outside the car window. But strangely, she couldn't see it, nor could she see any stars in the sky. So it's like right above them, maybe? Like the bottom? (laughs) I don't know. Wow. That's just what I'm picturing. But there were stars before. Yeah. Then, without explanation, loud rhythmic beeps sounded as if they were bouncing off the trunk of the car. They compared the noise to someone dropping a tuning fork. The car vibrated with each beep. The couple felt instantly drowsy, and they felt an unusual tingling sensation before both of them lost consciousness. When Barney and Betty came to, they were still driving down the road. They, again, heard a weird beeping noise as they drove, but then it stopped. They stayed silent for a few minutes as they tried to figure out where they were, and soon they realized that they were near Ashland, which was about 35 miles from where they had encountered the weird flying craft, but they didn't have any memory of driving those 35 miles. For the rest of the drive, the couple didn't speak much. They were still fairly groggy and agreed they weren't going to talk about what had just happened. (laughs) That's typical so funny to me. Right. Barn. We're not going to talk about. I don't know. I don't think she I don't know if she's called him Barn, but it feels right. It feels right. The craft was nowhere to be seen. So all they had left to do was finish their drive home. The hills finally did arrive home around 5 a.m. So they drove 35 miles without knowing like what yeah. happened in between and two hours had passed that were okay. unaccounted for in their memory. Yeah, this is, I'm getting a little tingly, mm-hmm. a little goosebump. Right. Once they were home, they both felt really strange and noticed some weird things pretty immediately. Neither of them felt right. They both felt uncomfortable, disturbed, and strange in a very vague way. Both of their watches had stopped and would never start again. The strap what? on their binoculars was inexplicably broken, and both of them had dirt all over them. Betty, for whatever reason, felt a compulsion to leave her luggage out of the house and throw their food away from the journey. She didn't know why, but she's like, I'm just going to do these things. And when she finally went to change out of her clothes from that night, she noticed that her brand new dress that she had been wearing was torn in a few different locations. The stitching on the zipper of the dress had been broken and the dress had weird stains on it. And it was a brand new dress. I mean, they fucked with the dress? Well, (laughs) disrespect. The, not a new dress. I, I need to joke about something because this is this is wild. Freaky, right? The tops of Barney's shoes were scuffed, and he also had a weird feeling that he should check his groin. The couple sat down and tried to recount their experience, but they had a really hard time remembering what had happened, especially the time between the two series of beeps that they had traveled those 35 miles. Betty recalled Barney making a sharp turn at some point, and Barney remembered some kind of bright orange road blockage. Unable to understand what had happened, the couple attempted to draw images of what they had seen that night, as well as come up with a timeline to the best of their ability. Ten days following the encounter, Betty Hill began to experience extreme lucid dreams, which she dismissed as her mind just playing tricks on her. But due to these repeated dreams, Betty became quite overwhelmed and paranoid. She didn't want to put all of that on Barney, so instead of tell him about them, she documented her dreams in a diary. They had been so vivid. In one of her dreams, Betty recalled she was in a car with Barney and they had come up to a dead end in the road. Almost immediately, a group of men appeared out of nowhere and surrounded the car. 
Then the dream jumped forward in time to another scene where Betty was led into a wooded area by two relatively small men wearing blue-collared uniforms whose skin was a mixture of blue and gray. Barney followed behind her in some kind of uncommunicative, hypnotic state. The dream ended with the couple being led back to their car and watched motionless as the men entered a similar-shaped craft to what they had seen the previous week before it took off into the sky. So those are her dreams. Okay. Yeah. Um, at first, I don't think she told Barney about them, but then at some point when they start talking to people, like professionals about this, like she does tell Barney about her dreams because she has to tell the professionals about it. So Barney does know about the dreams, just to be clear. Okay. Yeah. The fact that her dreams had been so similar to what had happened and because she still had no idea what happened in those two hours, they were unconscious. Betty was terrified. I mean, yeah. Yeah. In the weeks and months after, Betty checked out books from the library and discovered a civilian UFO group called National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, or NICAP. After a conversation with Barney, they agreed they would share their story to the group, as well as with the Air Force, since they had been worried about radiation or infection. Because they were feeling very strangely and they didn't know why, so they're like, we need to figure this out like yeah clearly something weird happened but even if it's not aliens like maybe it's radiation like i don't know yeah i don't know should i put forth my theory at this point in time or after sure here's my conspiracy theory okay this is the cia okay and hear me out because they have tech that we don't know about that's, that's for like sure. how they operate yeah they definitely like keep secrets and shit that's what they do yeah they're the cia um and then what year did they do mk ultra I don't know. Like MK Ultra people. I don't know, but we should talk about that. Yeah, one of these times. But like they were dosing civilians with LSD as like an experiment for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that they would possibly capture people and fuck with them doesn't seem out of this world. That's true. But how do you explain the like tiny bluish gray skinned like? I mean, that was from a dream. Well, no, because they saw them before they went unconscious at least from a distance they saw them because remember i told you they saw the figures with the binoculars in the windows well did they see the blue and gray skin then or was it in her dream because you were saying like the colors in the dream i don't know if they were close enough at that point before they went unconscious to see the skin but they saw the weird shape of like the figures and they knew they were like smaller than a human or at least shorter than what a typical grown person would be and like they saw the slanted eyes. They saw weird things. They didn't understand it, but they saw weird shit. Okay. Well, this is falling apart now. <laughs> I like your theory. Let's keep going though. So they mostly wanted to talk to the Air Force and this NICAP group because they wanted answers. On October 22nd, 1961, Barney went on record to the committee to state that what he saw that night was otherworldly and the creatures were somehow not human. The case was assigned to Walter Webb, a Boston-based astronomer and NICAP member, who decided to conduct an extensive interview with the couple. The interview lasted over six hours, and every single piece of information was discussed and recorded. As the interview progressed, it became obvious that Barney was frustrated, confused, and afraid that he was losing his mind. He still couldn't remember what happened during those two hours, and he was worried that his mind was repressing memories to protect him. Luckily for the Hills, Mr. Webb would also go on record to state that, in his opinion, they were telling the truth, and the incident probably occurred just as they reported it, 
because both of them had their information that they told over six hours like was airtight like nothing ever changed their story stayed consistent and like fit together like puzzle pieces yeah did they take them like separately I think they did. Yeah, they definitely did that later. But I think even at this point for the six hours of interviews, yes, like they were separate. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it was a witness for a crime, this would be like a good witness testimony. Yeah, you know, exactly. After Walter Webb's report was concluded, filed and peer reviewed, the Hills were told they may want to try a few sessions of hypnotic therapy to assist them in coming to terms with what happened and possibly even help them remember additional evidence. However, the psychiatrist who they consulted advised them to hold off on hypnosis since forcing memory retrieval could be harmful. Okay. I didn't know that. Did they know that in the 60s? I they clearly like, did. I guess so. But no, no, no. I just kind of imagine that time as like therapists were not were kind of new. I don't know. That's how I imagine it. They but clearly had, yeah, they clearly had enough knowledge to know that that could be potentially harmful or also lead to like false memories because if you force it, then it oh, could yeah, lead. if you suggest it to yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, they were like, hold off on the hip, on the hypnosis just for now. They also shared their story with their church group and some friends, but avoided going public with it. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get a warm welcome. No, probably not. Over two years after the incident, the Hills finally sat down with psychiatrist Benjamin Simon, who was an expert in hypnosis. Dr. Simon wasn't interested in UFOs, but he found their story fascinating, and his main goal was to relieve the anxiety that the couple had been feeling and help them remember their memories. And Barney, at that point, had been dealing with PTSD from this experience, so he was like, okay, I can help you with that. The hypnosis began with the focus being on the time the Hills said they couldn't remember. They would meet Dr. Simon every Saturday until June 26th of that year. So for a span of like almost a year, they met with this guy once a week. The Hills would be hypnotized separately every single time and would recount their story with the other out of the room. Dr. Simon told them not to remember anything they brought up under hypnosis after they were brought out of it unless he told them otherwise. So I guess due to the nature of hypnosis, if he told them, don't remember this after we finish, they wouldn't remember it until he like told them to. I'm very confused about hypnosis. Yeah, now because, I'm, I have some questions. Yeah, well, I don't necessarily have the answers because I don't fully understand hypnosis. It's really weird because your mind is still like awake but it's like in an altered state. And I don't understand how a person gets to that altered state, but I've seen like videos of people being quote unquote hypnosed or hypno not hypnosed, hypnotized, hypnosed, <laughs> hypnotized. Um, and it's weird. Like I've seen guest hypnotists come into places and like hypnotize like a group of people. And it, it seems pretty real, but also I don't understand it because I feel like I would be able to not get hypnotized. But I guess that is something that is true. Like you have to be open to it for it to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had a hypnotist come for our senior year. Oh, really? Yeah. All night party. And okay. they like hypnotized people on stage. And, and did it work? Yeah. Well, they said like embarrassing things, you know? Yeah. So it's like... I don't know why they would do that. Right. Otherwise, I mean, maybe they're hamming it up, but it seemed real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So hypnosis is weird and I don't understand it, but like, who knows? You know, there are weirder things out there. So anyway, the Hills were doing that and they were doing it separately. And each session was recorded with oh, okay. a tape. Yeah, I'm like, 
I'm kind of initially skeptical of the ther- uh, the hypnotist. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you don't want them to remember anything of the session. What are you doing during the session? Uh, well, no, they were all recorded, so it wasn't like any funny business. But also, his reasoning for not wanting them to remember their memories until he told them to, like at the very end of them working together, was because he was like, if they remember it too quickly, then it might mess with them. Like, he wanted to help them and and know the full story before he like let them remember it because he wanted to know how to like deal with everything yeah if that makes sense yeah he just he i wrote in my notes he wanted to assess their memories and how damaging they would be before he brought them to the surface that's an interesting phrase brought them to the surface oh well yeah because that's like hypnosis anyway what are we doing scuba (laughs) sure these sessions were recorded on 11 hours of tape and what they told dr simon they only have 11 hours for a whole year it, okay, maybe it wasn't a year. Maybe That's like three or four months. Yeah, it must have been a couple months. My yeah. bad. And what they told Dr. Simon is what makes this case so famous. Because they were separate and they didn't hear what the other was saying. And um, they were hypnosed. Yeah, hypno- if right, you will. hypnotized. So it was while standing in a field at Indian Head, seeing the craft up close, that Barney's conscious memory became vague, like I said. Under hypnosis, Barney said that the beings, or men as he would refer to them, were wearing black uniforms with what seemed like scarves around their shoulders. As he observed one of them running to the back wall, it turned its head to look back at him and was smiling. But he later said he couldn't remember their mouths very well at all, but the eyes of the being was moved in a way that he interpreted it as a smile. He also described that the eyes of the being he interpreted as the leader had a profound impact on him, and he felt like it was looking at him even when the figure wasn't present. He believed this being was communicating with him, encouraging him to stay there, even though there was no vocal communication. The way he described it suggested there was some kind of telepathic communication happening. There was no voice, but he knew what the being wanted. So I guess the craft had come down and the beings had exited. Like I said, they they brought down a ladder and then they came out. And I guess one of them like reached for the binoculars, but Barney ripped it away from the being, tearing the strap in the process. And then he took off running. And that's when he jumped back into the car and took off driving. From that point forward in the hypnosis, they were recalling the time that they had no conscious memory of. While explaining this part, Betty and Barney both became much more vague and extremely emotional. Under hypnosis, they were not only remembering, but reliving this experience. As they talked to Dr. Simon about it, they both began to cry, scream, and panic. After hearing the beeping noises, Barney braked suddenly and then turned the car down some roads that led into a forested area. like Betty's dream. He didn't understand why he had turned off the highway, but he attributed that to the voice in his head. And that was the sharp turn that Betty and Barney had previously remembered. They drove to a point where there was a great orange glow in the road coming from the woods. In the road, there was between six to 12 of these figures in dark uniforms, like in front of them. And then the car stalled and the men in the road started approaching their car. Betty was terrified and had a strong urge to get out of the car and run, but since they were in such a dazed and drowsy state, neither of them got out and ran. Barney felt weak, but not necessarily scared in that moment, is what he said. They opened their doors, and the beings escorted them through the forest to their ship. Barney recalled that his eyes were closed for most of this portion of the experience, since he felt like the leader had been encouraging him to keep them closed. 
he was kind of dragged by the men, almost carried. So his feet were dragging as he went, which is what they think made the scuffs on the top of his shoes. And he had no recollection of what happened to Betty. But Betty recalled during this portion, she was much more lucid and became angry at Barney, who she could tell was in some kind of sleep-like state and seemed to be like sleepwalking. One of the beings asked her if Barney was his name, but she didn't answer. It told her not to be afraid, they were only going to perform some tests. He assured her they would not be harmed and they would be returned once they were done. Betty said the being had some kind of accent that she couldn't recognize as it spoke to her. The communication aspect of the story was something that continued to cause confusion for the both of them. They both described the men as short, maybe five feet tall at most, and their skin was described by both of them as metallic and kind of gray. They did say that the leader may have been slightly taller with a little bit of a different skin color, but Barney believed they were all the same. They had large chests and slender hips, odd-shaped heads that were large but got thinner as they got to the chin. Their eyes were larger than humans and slanted. They had pupils, and Betty said they reminded her of cat eyes. Kind of like straight up and down pupils? Yeah, kind of. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Picture like a typical, like alien face like the well yeah that's it yeah like this their story is what influenced like oh that yeah oh okay and they said their mouths were difficult to see their mouths were very thin and lipless the two of them were escorted up a ramp to the craft though betty tried to resist and may have even kicked them which she believed may have been the start of her torn dress the interior of the ship was lit up by a blue fluorescent light that cast no shadows They turned left when they were led into the ship and down a very long hallway that circled the craft with various rooms around the interior. So they're just walking down a long hallway that goes around the Mm -hmm. entire ship. And there's like like rooms. Yeah, there's like rooms that branch off. Barney and Betty were then taken into separate rooms. Barney recalled a low to the ground metallic table that resembled an operating table. The walls were sky blue in color, smooth and very clean. The room was mostly empty, except for the examining table and a cabinet, and there was nothing on the walls. Betty said basically the same thing, but in her room, she said there were a few more furniture pieces, such as a metallic white stool and equipment in the corner, and some kind of gadgets on the walls. Everything seemed to be made of metal or plastic, and had a white tone to it. Barney's recollection was much more vague than Betty's, since his eyes were closed for most of his time with the aliens or with the beings. But he said he believed there were three others in the room with him, but only one was interacting with him. They examined his body. They ran their hands along his back, opened his mouth, and scratched his left arm with something that felt like a stick. They also put a cup around his groin. Betty's description was much more detailed. She said she was led into the room and sat on the white stool that was in the room. There were multiple beings in the room with her, including the one who had spoken to her earlier. That being, she referred to as the examiner. Like Barney, she was also examined. They took samples of her skin, earwax, hair, and fingernails. They put their samples into small clear bags, which they put into the drawer. And she also said the beings seemed to be communicating with each other. However, that was completely unintelligible to her. Barney described it as the beings opening their mouths and making some sort of mum, 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 mum sound. Dude, I <laughs> thank God they were like, they don't remember this shit. <laughs> well, they did, at, at, you know, at some point. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. 
<laughs> they then told Betty they wanted to examine her nervous system and started undressing her, but the zipper on her dress got stuck, so they tore the dress and laid her on the table. <laughs> You're really putting yourself there, huh? Yeah, this is nuts. Did you not? <laughs> kind of, yeah. I just Could like... you imagine consciously experiencing this? No, this, this is, is horrifying. wild. That would be horrifying. They then came to the table with a bunch of what looked like needles with wires coming out of them, and they placed them on her very gently, and she didn't know where they were all placed, but she could feel them moving inside of her body and even her head. Nope. Like the wires. No, no, no. <laughs> I've had enough. Finally, the examiner approached her with a five-inch needle with a tube attached, and she asked what he was going to do, and he told her it wouldn't hurt, it was just a pregnancy test. He then put the needle into her belly button, and she said the needle was quite painful at first. But then the one they claimed was the leader came over to her and placed his hand on her eyes, which took the pain away. They apologized and said they wouldn't have done the needle test if they knew it would hurt her. And that's when her examination was over. All of the other beings, except for the leader, left the room, and Betty said she felt comfortable at that point because she knew they weren't going to hurt her. She talked to the leader and said this was all so unbelievable and asked for some kind of proof that she could take back with her. She found a book on the shelf that had writing that was completely unfamiliar to her and asked if she could take it, and the leader said yes. What? She asked where they were from, and the leader grabbed an oblong map with dots and lines all over it. Betty would later try to redraw this map from memory, but, you know, who really knows what... Yeah. That would have been. She asked what the lines meant, and he informed her that the thick lines were trade routes, the lighter lines were places they occasionally went, and the broken lines were expeditions. As this... What was the line to here? <laughs> I don't know. The map didn't... Did they answer where they were from? Um. So Betty was like, where are you from? And then the alien was like, where is Earth? And she was like, I don't know. And the alien was like, yeah, so I can't tell you where I'm from. Like, it was like, I don't really know how to tell you that. This is a good point. Yeah. Can you say how far, in what direction? No. No. They just show them they just showed her the weird line. That's map. Okay. Yeah. I have I if if and when I get abducted, I will ask more questions. Okay, perfect. I know you will. I know that for a fact. <laughs> no, I no, I'm imagining <laughs> They'll put me, you back. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm imagining me like not even really being scared, just mm -hmm. kind of like so curious. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so like, I guess I consent, not that this seems to matter. No. But if this is going to happen, I'm not leaving until my questions are answered. They'll be like, we got to put this one back. It's really annoying. Yeah, no, and like <laughs> halfway, halfway to the ship, they just kind of like tap my head and like knock me unconscious. Like this one is, it won't shut up. It won't stop like, talking. It won't, I just, un, like it's unfathomable. Yeah, that that's how it would go. I'm positive of that, honestly. As their conversation was happening, other beings came into the room holding Barney's dentures and asked Betty why her husband's teeth could come out, but not hers. And she told them they were dentures, which were fake teeth because he had lost his originals because of an injury. And that happens to people as they get older. And they asked her what older was, which she explained. And then they asked how long humans live. She told them about 100 years, but most people don't make it that long. They asked her questions like, what are years? What do you eat? What are vegetables? What is yellow? This is starting to sound like me. <laughs> right, exactly. Until finally she told them she didn't know how to answer all their questions, but that there were other people who she could introduce them to who could explain these things to them if they ever came back. She then noted if they did come back, she wouldn't know where to meet them, 
And to that, the examiner laughed and said, we always find who we want to. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> what? Yep. Oh, God. Yeah. Meanwhile, Barney was being released from his examination and was reunited with Betty, but he still had his eyes closed. The beings told Betty they could leave and escorted the couple halfway to their car. The Hills believed they were in the craft for about 30 to 40 minutes, and as they left, they felt a rush of air and, and a temperature change as they left the craft, because I guess they're blasting the AC in there. <laughs> <laughs> However, before they parted ways, the leader took the book back from Betty, saying the others didn't want her to have proof or to remember the incident. She argued with him and told him she would not forget, but he said it's better if she did. Barney got into the car ahead of Betty and found their dog, Delcy, under the seat curled up in a ball trembling with fear. Betty picked up Delcy and told Barney to come with her to watch the craft disappear. The object became a glowing orange ball, which got brighter and brighter before it took off. I have more questions. I don't have the answers, Kate. I know, but I like, <laughs> uh, so they were asking, like, what years are, what older means. Yes. Yeah what yellow is just general like, questions yeah. bitch you know what yellow is you're like oh i'm doing a pregnancy test right how do you know what pregnancy is yeah stop playing me yeah you know like, what yellow is you know how to speak english but you but like, like they don't but they do they like, don't but they do what is barney up with said you? barney said that they were communicating telepathically and betty said that too but she was like but then a couple of them did talk to her so i don't yeah. know well, I guess some of them took English class. Like what? <laughs> or they just have alien intelligence and they can make it happen. I don't know. I don't know. It's just like weird to me that they would know the language and then like, no, oh, I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah, oh, it's we're gonna all do... weird. Yeah, the but whole then, thing is weird. But then they're going to like ask all these questions. I don't think you're going to make sense of no, no, no. an alien abduction story. I know. But like, <laughs> I like to come at it like, what if it is real? But then sure. there's like all these weird things that are that don't make any sense. Well, it, none of it makes sense. Yeah, but I don't know. Everyone seems to believe them. So like, uh, how do you square that? Well, I'll I'll just keep going. Sound good? Yeah. So the ship flew away, disappearing within seconds, leaving them alone in the darkness. As that happened, each of them described that they felt an overwhelming happy feeling, and that's when the second set of beeps started happening as the hills were back in the car and driving, and then they regained consciousness. So that's what happened in between the two beeps. Like I said, once they got home, Barney inspected his groin. However, not remembering anything, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. That was until about four months after when an almost geometrically perfect circle of warts developed around Barney's groin. Okay. If only you could see Alex's oh, okay. face. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just cool. the slow blinks. <laughs> yep. That. So that actually happened to him. Yeah. A, a, yeah. A circle of warts. Mm -mm. Yeah. Um, and it became inflamed again a few years later during the interviews with Simon. So either he has really weird, crazy herpes, or he got abducted by an alien. Imagine if it was though. Alien or herpes? No, no, he like actually like cheated on her, but then she's like, <laughs> it was blatant. the aliens, babe. <laughs> I swear, they inspected my groin and uh, that's all. Oh my God. That's I don't so think funny. he would do it. Barnes seems like a good guy. No, Barney's a, Barney's a great guy. I don't um, know. I hope, I hope this isn't like disrespectful, but well, just Barn, Barn feels wholesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. If it were herpes, don't you think it'd be strange for it to be like a near no, it wouldn't make any, circle? No, it doesn't make any that's sense. That's weird. Nope. Yeah. By April, Dr. Simon had heard their stories fully, 
which was around when he allowed Barney and Betty to listen back to their recordings and remember their memories. Although the recordings were extremely difficult for them to hear, the overwhelming feeling by both of them was that a weight had been lifted from them, because now they had the full story. Dr. Simon wasn't sure what to make of it. He was stuck on the fact that their stories seemed very consistent with each other, and so because of that, he didn't believe the two of them had been lying or that it was a hoax, nor was it a product of mental illness. However, he was not convinced that the incident had really happened to them, as they claimed, either. So it's really strange because, like I said earlier, they were separated for these sessions, but their stories pieced together perfectly. Hmm. And this was during the time that they, you know, couldn't remember. So the only way that they would be able to, like, make that happen so perfectly was if they, like, rehearsed and practiced and, like, made up this story so detailed But he even said, like, I don't think that this is a hoax. Like, I don't think that they're lying or that they made it up. Like, he he was like, I truly believe that this couple believes what they're telling me. Yeah. I mean, it it is a weird line that he's kind of walking where it's like, yeah, I believe that they believe it and their stories are super consistent. But he doesn't believe in aliens. But I don't I don't think that what they're describing actually happened to them the way that they say right so it's like what do you yeah so what did happen yeah so he focused on the fact that their memories were almost identical to betty's dreams with only a few differences his main hypothesis became that the portion of the story recovered under hypnosis may have been formed in the days after seeing the weird object in the sky so he believed they saw a weird object Um, Rather than Betty's dreams being a recollection of an experience, he believed they may have only been dreams that they convinced themselves were reality. When Betty's dreams were recalled around Barney, he may have latched onto the details as well as convinced himself of it and even created parts of his own story in his head. Hmm. But there were a few problems with that explanation, and Dr. Simon knew that. Confusing a dream for reality was something that Betty and Barney both knew they couldn't rule out. They didn't want the alien abduction story to be real because think about that. That's a horrifying thing to happen to a person. So if it was that simple, then that would have been a huge relief to them. Yeah. But even though they never ruled out that possibility, they never favored that explanation because Betty said her dreams were different from her story. Also, something really crazy about the whole dream hypothesis is that Betty's dreams happened after they had gotten home and like started recalling certain things. So like... They had that period of time where they had passed out or like lost consciousness or whatever. But before that happened, they they had a laundry list of really weird things. Like they saw the ship up closely with the binoculars. They saw the beings. They saw a ladder come down. Like these were things they had recalled before they like went to sleep. So the dreams didn't happen before that. Yeah, hard. To, I don't think it's like definitive. No, it's definitely not. Barney was also leaning toward the fact that it had actually happened because he said he had done a lot to stop Betty from influencing him with her memories and her dreams. By early June, Dr. Simon felt like he had done all he could for them, and he determined that hypnosis alone would not be able to solve this mystery. The Hills began easing back into normal life, but from that point on, their lives were forever changed. For the rest of their lives, they would pursue their case and the study of UFOs in general. They asked Dr. Simon to keep the tapes of their sessions and to give them copies of it. They actively avoided publicity, never wanting to be in the spotlight for anything, but they had forgotten that in 1963 they had told their church group about their experience. 
And apparently that conversation with their church group had been recorded without their knowledge. Oh, wow. So in 1965, John H. Luttrell, a reporter working for a newspaper called the Boston Traveler, somehow got access to that recording and reached out to the Hills and even Dr. Simon for information. Wonder how he got access. Right. Who is selling it on the side? Yeah. From the church group? What rat? None of them were willing to discuss anything with him, and the Hills even requested that their story remain private, but there was no way a reporter was going to keep an alien abduction private. (laughs) He got a whiff of that, and it was over. Exactly. And he somehow was able to obtain information intended to be confidential from the UFO investigators that the Hills had spoken to. So on October 25th of that year, the Boston Traveler began publishing articles about their experience and people ate them up. The Hills didn't like that their story was now out, but since it was, they felt like they themselves had to tell their story to correct the inaccuracies in the articles. They also didn't like that their story was told in a very sensationalist way. They wanted to be in control of that narrative. So they publicly told their story, giving talks and even appearing on radio television shows. Eventually, they wanted their full story recorded and in 1966 decided to sit down with Dr. Simon and a man named John G. Fuller to be interviewed for the book that would become The Interrupted Journey. So that's a real book. That's like their story. The Hills were not the first people to claim to be abducted by aliens. However, their story was the first to receive such widespread attention and made the concept of alien abduction so famous. Barney Hill died from a stroke in 1969 at the age of 46. However, Betty outlived her husband by decades, never remarrying, and always stuck to their story and pursued it for the rest of her life. She became an active and famous member of the UFO community, and in 1995, she published her own book called A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. Betty, (laughs) which is kind of funny, Betty Hill died of lung cancer in 2004 at the age of 85, Um, and her niece Kathleen Martin published another book on her aunt and uncle's abduction in 2007 called Captured, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. So what happened? Because this case is the most famous alien abduction case, the details of their story have been extensively analyzed, discussed, and contested at some point over the course of six decades. Typically, potential explanations for this type of incident fall into four general categories. Hoaxes, misidentifications of normal phenomena, delusions, and reality. Another theory from Dr. Simon was the fact that the couple was interracial during a time when that wasn't common could have played a part in their story. What? He said that being ostracized may have triggered an episode in them. However, the Hills denied that speculation, saying that their relationship didn't cause them many problems. So they were like, no, we weren't stressed about being an interracial couple. Yeah. Neither of them were under intense abnormal stress that could lead to any kind of delusional episode. They were on their honeymoon. Right. They were super in love. They were like very relaxed. Yeah, exactly. Neither of them had much interest in UFOs before the incident other than Betty's sister saying that she had seen one. So Betty was very loosely thinking about the idea of aliens at some point and Barney knew about Betty's sister's claim, but neither of them gave it much thought and Barney thought it was nonsense. Like he didn't believe in aliens after... Betty's sister was like, I saw a UFO, you know? Yeah. The Hill story being a hoax seems unlikely because it was not a favorite theory of the government officials, scientists involved, nor the multiple psychiatrists that they spoke to. 
That's saying something. Isn't it? That's insane. I mean, usually the government is always like, ah, oh, this is fake. Right. I mean, first off, that would have required a huge amount of planning, rehearsal, and persistence on their part. And yeah. like they were recorded separately and their stories fit together like puzzle pieces. Like Yes. Yeah. But also they got a book deal. <laughs> well, okay. So that's another thing that I'm about to say. They didn't gain anything from this story. They didn't get rich off of it. And they actively tried to keep it out of the spotlight until they were forced into it. So it doesn't seem like they wanted fame or notoriety from this story. It they just did. like happened. Yeah. Okay. But dude, if I get abducted by aliens, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make a profit. You best believe I'm going on a tour. I am. I'm going to follow that bag. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, the Hills spent a lot of money and time on the hypnosis sessions. So if anything, they lost money. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so none of the psychiatrists they had seen believed the Hills suffered from mental illness, which would cause them to lose touch with reality. So multiple experts were like, yeah, no, these people aren't mentally ill. Okay. Here's one more thing. Are they like tripping on LSD? No, they were both sober. And that they're night- They're a bunch of squares? They're a bunch of- Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, we're really starting to run out of- what ifs exactly aren't we? yeah many people concluded that the hills genuinely believed that they were abducted that being said some believed something in their environment may have triggered a hallucination the couple had a nitrate fertilizer stored in their car and that was considered but there was no other symptoms suggesting that they had been poisoned or like that would have been the cause what about the warts in a perfect right. circle or the dress being torn or their watches stopping or you know and like never starting again literally both of their watches stopped and never started again well did they put new batteries in it yeah i'm sure they tried yeah i well i'm just <laughs> part in detail what's going on anyway yeah that night they only had caffeine and some tobacco in their systems so like they weren't drinking or taking drugs do you think it's possible somebody like dosed them well they were driving so if they were like high or like under the influence they probably would have crashed or something they drove hours maybe not but i don't think anyone would have poisoned them or like drugged them because they were just a random couple traveling through a diner what and here's where my theory comes back around the cia they did that i mean <laughs> i, I want to look that up because i don't want to like no they did I'm, yeah i don't want to like spread misinformation no, that was a, or I mean, whatever but allegedly right allegedly. i don't <laughs> I don't want to be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that was what they did. No, I, I'm. That's. I think that's correct too. I. I think that's what it is. That's like. Uh, that's just fucking wild. Yeah, it's absolutely that's wild. at the same time. Yeah. Decade. I've definitely said this before, um, on the podcast, but I we will for sure cover cover MK Ultra because that's an insane story. So anyway, Doctor Simon concluded that their sightings of an unidentified object was probably real. And it most likely had a huge emotional effect on them. And ultimately, he landed on the dream theory. Their theory was a product of some disturbing dreams. He even said on national television, it was a fantasy. The abduction did not happen. And also, the concept of hypnosis is a controversial one. Using hypnosis for memory recall is a subject of debate. And Dr. Simon said hypnosis isn't a truth serum. Even though a person is in an altered state, the mind is still aware of the questions being asked, and it is possible for a person to lie under hypnosis if it's something that the person has convinced themselves of. It can also strengthen and convince someone of a false memory, like we talked about earlier, and hypnosis has actually sent innocent people to jail by reinforcing false memories. 
Really? Like yeah. uh, witnesses do it? Potentially. I don't know of a specific case, but apparently hypnosis has reinforced false memories and led to jail for someone. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. Just a shoulder shrug. I don't know. I don't know. But there is a problem with the dream theory, like we said, um, because the Hills had conscious memories of extremely weird things before they were asleep or unconscious, including the close-up memories of the craft and the beings inside it. They also had a vague memory of the glowing orange orb in the road and then taking off through the sky, and they somehow traveled 35 miles without remembering it. Yeah, and then he remembers like reaching for his gun and right. getting back in the car. Exactly. So even if the dreams did fill in the loss of consciousness, how and why did they lose consciousness for two hours and travel 35 miles in that time? Yeah, Weird. don't know, bro. Also, even if Barney had been influenced by Betty's dreams, they shared their own stories from their perspective, and both of them didn't know things that the other had experienced when they weren't present. Yeah. Which would definitely lean more toward it did happen, and Walter Webb said that their recollection of things fit together like puzzle pieces, which I've been saying. And lastly, there was some physical evidence, like their watches stopping at the same time, Betty's torn dress, the warts, Barney's scuffed shoes, the dirt. Like, there was a lot of weird stuff. If anything, their story became less believable when, in the 70s after Barney's death, Betty claimed to have found a UFO hotspot in East Kingston where she saw many UFOs, she claimed, and that they had become much less friendly. So I don't know if after Barney's death she, like, went a little haywire. Who knows? But for the time that the two of them were alive and for the story, it was pretty convincing, and it convinced a lot of people. So who knows? Honestly, yeah. if nothing else, it's an interesting story because even if they had made up the whole thing, it's impressive that they were able to keep their story so consistent and have everything fit together so perfectly. So there's that. Or it's true. <laughs> and they were Which abducted. one would you like? <laughs> exactly. Pick your poison. Spooky. Spooky. Halloween. October. I don't know. I feel like, is, are, are aliens like Halloween? I always yeah. thought it was like ghosts. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, this is general spookiness. It's general spook. The The next couple of weeks, I'm going to be uh, continuing on this spook train. So okay. get ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, is that that's it? That's it. Yeah. Okay. Let me know what you guys think about the situation because it's an interesting story to talk about. Yeah. I had no idea about the story, but I didn't either. Yeah. I don't know. I think I believe them. Like I said earlier, this would be enough to convict somebody, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And not that, like, the legal system's not perfect. We all understand our thoughts on that. We're not exactly mm -hmm. gung-ho. It's not perfect. But, I mean, what else do you have if not somebody's, like, word yeah. over time with multiple people? Yeah. And it remains consistent. And I don't know. I don't buy the dream theory because... It just doesn't make sense to me because they're remembering things from before they lost consciousness and they had like sat down together and talked about it before she had a dream. Yeah. I don't know how you just don't remember two hours like that. Exactly. And then you see everything kind of going on. They also like drew the craft and like their drawings matched up. Like it was, I mean, sure, they could have drawn it out before they went to experts or whoever and like planned that part out. But like there's also that like they had drawings and things that they were like recalling from mm -hmm. their weird memories and they matched yeah i would want to interview people who knew them mm -hmm. be like what are, what were they like like well, apparently, was, was barney a man of integrity i mean it's, he sounds yeah, like it yeah you know? 
I think that is true that he was. Um, also, um, I know that Betty was kind of like, I don't want to say controlling because I don't know specifics about their relationship, but she was like a, a more, um, she was a bigger personality and Barney, I think, was supposed to be a little bit like more reserved. Like they were kind of like yin and yang in that respect. Mm -hmm. um, and he was a little shyer. Um, so it also kind of makes sense in that regard that like Barney wouldn't remember as much or he was like more you know, subdued and Betty was like remembering a lot of details and like really tuned into everything. Yeah. So that was another thing that um, a podcast that I was listening to about this story talked about was like their personalities kind of match up in like the way they're telling these stories. Regardless of if it happened or not, for real, everyone kind of agreed that like Betty and Barney believed what they were saying. Yeah, multiple so, people. Yeah, so it didn't seem like they were lying. Even the government. Dude. Exactly. Yeah, like professionals in mental health and like, you know, officials and whoever. But another thing that I was going to say, which we already talked about, but like they didn't try to like become famous from this. They actively were trying to keep it out of the spotlight. So like if anything, that makes it more credible in my eyes because they weren't trying to gain anything from it. And they didn't want it to be like a spectacle. They were like, this is just something right. really kind of traumatizing that happened to me. Like it gave Barney PTSD. Like we just wanted to get answers. Um, and right. they did that kind of, but also it did end up coming out and like, you know, they wrote books after that, but that was only because they were kind of forced into it. Yeah. If they did make this up and they like rehearse with each other. Good for them. I love this story even more. No, me too. That's I'm like, amazing. I'm like, they kind of killed that. I was like, props <laughs> like, they, to them. They slayed. It was the best acting that they have ever done. Yeah. Ever. Possibly they... by anyone. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Tom Cruise. Yeah, sorry, Meryl. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, guys. After, over all this time. Give it up for Betty and impressive. Barney Hill. <laughs> I mean, give them a roll. Throw them a bone here. Right. I exactly. mean, I don't know. I, I kind of like freak out about this, but if an alien did come down and was like, I don't know, not trying to kill me, I would be kind of lit. Yeah, I'm like, okay, do you guys have like a government? Like how many of you are there? Are there more species of you? Are there like others in other planets that you like okay. interact with? All right, with? no more questions. But you know what? I see this is this is the <laughs> point where we're halfway to the spaceship yeah, and they've no more. already They've decided to knock. They me just out. put. They turn you around. They walk you back to your no, no, car. No. They, I don't even think they have <laughs> they to do buckle that. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> they turn on the car and no, they no. they're like go. No, no, no they, they go <laughs> and they like they go. They take their hand and they like turn the volume down on me. And I'm like still asking the questions in my but head, but they've they've <laughs> muted me. They've turned you down. Yeah, that's how I imagine it going down. But I mean, do you not? Are you not like viciously curious about this? Well. Yes and no. Like, part of me really does believe that, like, there's some kind of life out there. I don't know if they've actually made contact with us or not. Like, very possibly yes, but who knows. But also, I spiral at the idea of space and, like, everything else. So I try not to think about it. Like, I actively don't seek out information like this because I don't want to know. I would just like to be blissfully unaware. Hmm. My life would be better, in fact, if I didn't know the answer, I think. Now, this... Is kind of like how I feel about ghosts. Is like well, I can't ignore I, ghosts. I can because I've chosen to, and this sure. is like what. So I feel the same way about ghosts sometimes. Like, oh, if there's like some shit going on in our apartment, I'm gonna ignore it and I'm gonna act like it doesn't exist. Well, and I'm gonna choose to not believe. Well, thankfully, there's nothing going on in our apartment, so 
Anyways, that's quite the story that we talked about for so long. Um, what is your good thing? My good thing is that you're back. Oh. And we get to hang out and go to dinner. Yeah, I'm very excited to go after something, this. whatever. Yeah, I just got back from uh, New York. I was doing that combat thing that I talked about a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught stage combat to high schoolers, and it was awesome. And I think the show is going to be really great. So yep. it was a sleigh, literally. Um, amazing. My good thing is that the leaves are changing. Leaves are changing. I haven't seen yellow and red and like brown crunchy leaves in years because we lived in LA and like sure we came home for holidays and 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 whatnot but I didn't get to see the like progression of fall in many years and Mm -hmm. by many I just mean like four but like that's that's a lot I would say that's more than a few that's yeah that's like more yeah exactly so I'm I'm eating it up my I just drove seven hours today and I had a whole seven hours of like beautiful leaves to look at for the I mean for not the whole time but a good Uh, couple hours particularly Ohio no, New York is beautiful right now. Oh, I know. But, you know, oh, meaning just like there's the no... state of Ohio is sure. in a state of not... Disarray. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode and look forward to the other spooky episodes that I will put together. I don't know what they're going to be yet, but I'm looking forward to it. If you'd like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at not today underscore podcast. If you would like to check out the bonus episode that is coming out right now, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or something crazy that's happened to you, send it to us in an email at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you should be reading like symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> You do that. May cause death. Goodbye.